the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. Learn about the most current IT security threats in ransomware, phishing, business email compromise, cybercrime tactics, cyber heist schemes, social engineering scams, as well as hints and tips from leading professionals to help you prevent hackers from penetrating your network and dropping ransomware or malware payloads. This podcast will arm you with the best info to defend your network against the latest cyber crimes. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And now, here's your host, Craig Petronella. You're listening to Cybersecurity and Compliance with Craig Petronella. Visit us online at petronellatech.com. All right. Well, welcome, Lisa. Please introduce yourself. Sure. My name's Lisa Shastin. I'm a cybersecurity and data privacy attorney. Awesome. Well, welcome to have you. So, hot topics today. We're talking about the SolarWinds hack. Oh. <laughs> Some have uh, coined it as the, one of the worst hacks in history for the, the United States government. Yeah, and so many others. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, what happened? So basically, um, it, it seems like from what I've read, it was tricking, uh, in this case, SolarWinds to uh, social engineering involved with a, a patch or a bad malicious piece of code that got put into a patch from the Orion agent that SolarWinds is um, used by a lot of federal defense contractors as well as other parts of the government. Is that from your stance too? That's that's what I hear. And the big scary thing is, and what it means to most people in the audience is that uh, guess what? They can get around your multi-factor authentication and they can get into your your networks and go deep without any problem whatsoever. Scary stuff. So this goes back to assessing who you do business with. <laughs> no, no, knowing your customer. And in this context, you know, I bet a lot of managed service providers are also using SolarWinds. I know we used to use them a long time ago. We don't use them anymore, thankfully. Um, but um I mean, the reality of the situation is I think that a lot of folks put a lot of trust in our vendors and, you know, assume probably um, give too much trust and an assumption that patches coming from our trusted vendors in our circle are legit. So what what could be done to mitigate that risk? I, I mean, I've heard of, you know, I know a lot of companies used to use MD5 hashing technologies and things like that. So what happened to that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, if you're still using MD5, uh, please don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a frightening thing, right? <laughs> so no, I mean, but I, I think I think the story here is, you know, you would think that if it's good enough for the federal government, it's good enough for me, right? And you're thinking, well, if the military uses it, well, it's pretty pretty good, right? I mean, they probably vetted this every which way from Sunday, and yet still someone can do this. Well, it's a very sophisticated someone, let's face it, and there was manual effort in each step of this hack, supposedly. So it was a very, very sophisticated and targeted effort by a nation state. So, I mean, you're fighting a country, and there are hackers that are on staff. I mean, that's kind of hard for any business in the United States to try to combat or even to foresee. 
And so I think, at least from a legal standpoint, and, you know, the dust has not settled on this, but I, I really have to believe that given the level of security in some of the systems that were compromised and the, and the data that was compromised in the government itself, it's going to be hard for for the government to require people to, I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. Um, yeah, it's going to be hard for the government to, you know, tell people that they have done a poor job or find them or go after them when they themselves have been insecure. That's not to say that it doesn't happen because even after OPM and OCR and all the O words have been hacked, they are definitely still running around finding people and regulating. Um, so the message from the legal end is be reasonable. Take reasonable precautions to be secure. Now we know more. We know that SolarWinds is probably not a really good management platform, right? And so if you as an MSP or, or someone are, are using that as your, as, as your platform, probably a good time to change because it'd be reasonable to think that you're looking at alternative solutions, right? It's pretty, it's pretty scary. I mean, um, it just as easily could have probably happened to McAfee or trusted Antivirus, Symantec, or, you know, you name, you fill in the blank, right? Yeah. We're all kind of, uh, especially, um, I mean, I've been preaching this forever. Antivirus is, is only 5% effective nowadays. And it was a former Symantec executive that stated that. So most folks, though, they don't know that. They think that antivirus is a, is a you know, basic security control layer that's essential, but it only protects you against known threats. And mm-hmm. you know, going back to the trusting your vendor, I would say that most of us are putting too much trust in our vendors. And when we get a pop-up on our Microsoft desktop, for example, we, we probably, unless you are trained, assume that that's coming from Microsoft. And yeah, I got this new balloon by my clock on my you know, no- notification that says, oh, I, I got this critical update from Microsoft. Well, what do we do as consumers and business users of these products? I think we need to put more pressure on our vendors and, and put more you know, supporting evidence on them to show that this is legit. You know, it, it goes back to phishing emails too. You know, how people get tricked all the time with impersonations and emails coming from Apple and Microsoft and all the big names, especially around a hot product. You know, maybe the iPhone 12, for example. I'm sure there's phishing campaigns around that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the point is that um, it's pretty sad, I think. I, I think that the the new CMMC or cybersecurity maturity model certification process I think is needed now more than ever. And this proves, <laughs> this proves the case once again, um, because I feel like if the, their, the own internal federal government systems were able to get breached by this, and I agree that, yes, it's an advanced hack. It's an advanced, um, you know, nation state, right? Funded effort <clears throat> that took a lot of recon. But who knows? That could have been what happened with Target and Michaels and Home Depot with the $100 keylogger too, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. could have been, you know, speculated. I don't know if it was ever proven, but it could have been nation state led. I mean, the headlines are just endless on this stuff. But I think the fact remains that with the CMMC and the requirement of two forms of evidence for each of the 110 plus controls, it's only going to help. It's going to be hell for a lot of folks. I mean, it really is. I mean, I don't think that... Um, 
people really know what, what they're getting into and still they start the process. But this just sheds more light on the, the fact that we're just woefully insecure as a country right now. Well, you know, I, I think it goes back to a couple of things. Um, there's a, a very interesting paper that I read and, and there's a 2016 talk that um, Dr. Pablo Brewer did um, at B-Sides on um, the inherent problem with security solutions. And, it's, and, it, and it, it's unfixable, it's undecidable basically because of the way computers work. We are using a, a model of computers where you know, data and code are in the same environment. And so the computer has difficulty determining is this information or is this just data you're feeding me? And if it's information, it can be used, you know, like, and, and some people can use, you know, like pieces of, of information that are already on your computer to assemble on the fly some malware that harms you. And so, I mean, we're really, it's, it's just the way it's set up and the internet was never really set up to be secure from the get-go. No, and, and yeah, so we're dealing with this duct tape band-aid type thing with DARPA and the birth of the internet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously it was first used in, in defense and, our, you know, our, our military systems and then it spread out, but, and built upon insecure protocols. And, and so it's, it's all this bubblegum duct tape stuff. And, you know, who knows, maybe we need to kind of reinvent that and recreate that from a secure aspect. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, you mentioned the insecurities that are baked into the technologies. We're also still dealing with passwords. I mean, look at how bad people yeah. handle passwords and, you know, passwords are on everything nowadays. And yeah, you keep making them longer and longer. And, uh, you know, the latest status 22 characters complex. And, you know, I don't even know what half my passwords are. I use an encrypted password manager, but and then I use a hardware token and it all boils down to adding in as many layers as you possibly can to protect yourself, you know, how many is well, enough? Nobody knows. I agree with you. And I, I, I think what you're saying is so true and, and it's just being the less desirable home. I saw a picture once, uh, it's a cartoon with a guy that had, he was next to his neighbor's house and the neighbor was saying, you know, do away with all guns. And his sign said, you know, we're armed here. So go to our neighbor's house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But it's, it's kind of like being, <laughs> being well, a less desirable target. You know? Well, you're absolutely right. And, and, and I use that analogy often. You know, if you have a home and you want to be less desirable from a criminal, you know, maybe you get an alarm system. Maybe you get a sign. Maybe you get stickers on get the window. You know? yeah. A dog, right. Yeah. Camera systems. I call all of those things, all those actions, they're all security layers, right? The sign, the dog, you know, all this stuff, right? And you never want to protect just your front door. You want to protect all your entry points. And it's the same thing in cyber. You know, I feel like it, it's all about how many layers can you afford to put in place and the more, the better. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of CMMC consulting work with folks that are in the federal supply chain and the DIB. And I know you made me go get my... <laughs> <laughs> How is that going? Yay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but it's eye-opening, isn't it? It's, it's it is. Yeah. yeah. So it a lot is. of folks that I'm helping with consulting on, you know, getting them up to speed, a lot of this was based on NIST and NIST 800-171 and 853 security controls. And 
you know, the, the Department of Defense, the, the CISO, um, Miss Katie Arrington has stated that, hey, look, you know, you guys are supposed to be doing this for five plus years. This shouldn't be, you know, revolutionary. Shouldn't be a shock, right. But, but yeah. it is <laughs> because so many in the supply chain were not doing every, they didn't really, I don't think, understand the the need for it and 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 the supporting evidence trail that's required of it all. So it's kind of like this catch up period. And I was consulting with a with a company this morning around this, and they're like, "Holy crap! I can't believe all the stuff that you sent me." And I'm like, "Yeah." And this is really <laughs> just the beginning. You know? <laughs> like, welcome. That's the pre. That's the preliminary <laughs> stuff. I need that information first, right? Right. But one of their questions was, you know, can we handle this with policy and say, look, we're only going to store our controlled unclassified information or our sensitive information in this other system? And I said, absolutely. That might be disruptive to your business workflow because there might be some change that you're going to have to train your employees. But when in doubt, you know, use the maximum security that you can and the most layers. And one thing that came up was, well, we have this nice end-to-end encrypted solution that we could put our data, Right. And we've got proof and logging and supporting evidence of, that it's protected. But do we still need the password on the individual document if it's sensitive? And sure. I thought about yeah. it and I said, sure, why not? It's an extra yeah. security layer, right? You know, it's it to you. It takes what, a second? Exactly. So now you have, you know, even more encryption on there and, and a, an, an extra layer for you. So absolutely. But yeah, this is... Um, you know, like with the Equifax breach, I, I, I look back at that and I think about, man, had they just encrypted at the endpoint, you know, one basic security control layer would have given the hackers scrambled information. Mm-hmm. So- well, and that's and that's that's sort of a theme in regulatory systems throughout the world is encryption tends to be sort of get out of jail free card from a regulatory standpoint. Now, let's draw a distinction between compliance and actual security. Um, and, and where you get tripped up is the privacy laws. They may not have any laws about security per se. They're not going to tell you how to do it, but you got to keep the information private. Well, how do you do it? Well, you got to secure it. So, you know, we're back to this, you know, conundrum in a circle. And that's why you and I are working together on these things because it's, it's, it takes a team effort, right? That's right. And, you know, my role is more policy-based and, and making sure the, the things that people are doing are knitted to the laws that exist, but the but the technology can assist us so much in these areas. However, I think the the lesson of this this fire eye slash solar winds hack is that if it is on the internet, there is hack of it. I mean, there is you know everything is hackable, everything can go down. So your job is to have reasonable controls based on common knowledge. Is this hack common knowledge? Absolutely. So I would expect that within, you know, six months for regulators and other people to be saying, you're still using that? Are you crazy? I mean, we've had all this press. It like killed the entire world and the defense department and everything. And you're still doing this. That's not reasonable. So, you know, change is necessary. We we tend to be, you know, people that like, you know, just as humans, we, we like to stay the same. We don't comfortable to change, right? But my world is change. I mean, I, I change, I change all the time. I change every 10 years, I change professions, I change all sorts of things. I change, you know, areas of law that I look at because it's warranted. It's it's warranted by current events and, and you can't get comfortable ever. 
that's I think that's the biggest message in this is is and it and it's somebody's job. It's somebody like you, Craig. Uh, you know, someone who is a, a technical professional looking at these things all the time, evaluating, reevaluating, taking in new information, advising clients, saying, saying, listen, I think we need to address this, you know, and where, you know, attorney client privilege or, you know, something may be required, then, you know, we can work together. But the, the thing is, it, it is somebody's job. It's it's way too big for people to be doing by themselves now. It really and oh, absolutely, and it, it, it's just getting worse. And you just need a yeah. specialized team that dedicates their time to a certain activity so that they can be proficient and do it well. Well, and that's and see that's the other thing is I think there's going to be a little bit of aggregation in this in this field because of, of necessity. Um, there is a shortage, a dire shortage of qualified professionals, security professionals in the world, it would take a 60% increase in the graduates, the graduation rate this year to keep up with demand. There's not going to be a 60% of the market graduating from, you know, there's only like 0.01% enrolled in school in cybersecurity. It's the craziest thing. And it's the biggest thing on the planet. And so I think I think there's going to be, you know, not only here, but it's going to be in space as well. So I say on the planet, not not blithely. I, you know, I mean, there there is a whole space force and, you know, security of space um, that we're going to be looking at and probably building some structures in space to assist us in computing, uh, which we do now. As a matter of fact, so it's, you know, it's just a, it's a matter of keeping track of, you know, air and space law as well, which is what I do and, and things like that and trying to see in the commercialization of space and blah, blah, blah. I mean, here we go, right? But we can't even maintain our passwords in a secure fashion. People are still running around with stickies on their desk. And I just want to, I just want to go, oh, please, please don't do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's why, you know, this is a good segue into some new technology. I've been vetting a solution called Prevail, and it's a mm-hmm. passwordless technology. And I love that it's passwordless because I don't have to remember this long, complex password anymore, and it's bound to my device. So it's, there's no way to get into it unless you get into my device, my endpoint. And then I have protections. Again, we, we talk about these layers. So on my endpoint, I've got multiple layers of security to, for you to be able to get into my endpoint. So I think that had they used something like that in this context where um, with the hack that, you know, the hackers were able to escalate their privileges to sysadmin, which is your owned at that point anyway. I mean, if you if the hackers have got sysadmin or administrative privileges to your network, you're, you're pawned, you're done. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, they didn't really say, I'm sure that's going to take some time for them to, to complete their investigation. They didn't say how they did that. My assumption is it was a phishing email, business email compromise type campaign that um, tricked folks into clicking on something and forking over their credentials. And they, they just got, you know, the credentials that way. And or it was targeted fish or social engineering. Well, I think I think it was probably probably even a whaling attempt. You know, it had to be. Yeah something, someone, I mean, it can happen on your phone as well. I mean, so be, be aware of, of all the different avenues where you can be fished. I mean, you can be fished on your telephone, you can be fished anywhere. So, you know, it's not just, don't think it's just at your desktop. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, that's the single most, as you point out, that's a single most effective uh, way of penetrating a network is attack the human. They're the weakest thing in it. 
I mean, they really are because if you if you open the door and say, "Yeah, come on in," like my yeah, you could have the best security. You know, if you let the guy in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here we got the good stuff over here, and then you can go over there. You know, so that's. um, But if people are not doing uh, cybersecurity training and refreshing that training and and having someone like uh, like Petronella come in and do you know some sort of uh, testing or fish you know simulated phishing tests and, and feeding that information back to your employees I, I think you're really really vulnerable because 85 percent of the hacks come from business email compromise 85 percent that's crazy and that's from the crazy. FBI so that's I mean crazy. I, I used to be um, president um, just stepped down because of term limits but uh, of, of the um, Tampa InfraGuard chapter, which is a partnership with the FBI. So I still, you know, get a lot of information from them and Secret Service and, and things like that. So, you know, it's these are these are real numbers. It's it's for real. This is not this is not a drill. This is actually happening. You know, we need to take action. Now is the time if you've been sitting around waiting for this to get serious or come to your back door, it has, you know. Take note and prevail is a great, it's a great uh, opportunity and people should talk to you about that. It's really a uh, very interesting technology. I installed it. I thought it's great. Um, you know, I think, I think the people that you correspond with have to also have it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's hard. It, it was um, not simple for me to put more than one instance on one instance of Outlook. But it's possible because I have different email addresses, right? Because I'm, <laughs> right. I'm that kind of person. I'm, you know, I'm greedy about email addresses. I like them. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, that married with, there's another thing that I, I uh, became aware of, a thing called Packet Viper. Very interesting for larger enterprises. And they do active defense within a network. They send out decoys. They they lure things out. They find them and then they lure it out so that when it starts scanning a network, which it always has to do, right? It always has to find out where it is, who it is, where it's, you know, what kind of info it's got. Then they got them. It's very, very interesting. And we're coupling that with, um, you know, Threat Warrior, which is uh, an, an unsupervised neural network um, defense product, which um, allows, you know, it's, it's employed by people who have, you know, uh, security operations centers or, or MSPs that have those kind of things, um, you know, to just monitor networks. And it's agentless, so you don't have to, you know, install anything. But, you know, you've got to have these different layers. So you've got to have something like a threat war with a packet viper, and then you've got the prevail, you know, trying to maintain this, you know, Prevail also helps you with your document storage, which I think is very brilliant the way they've got that set up. So, you know, it's a very, very simple solution for people, passwordless, like you say, you know, there's probably 300,000 people that just breathe the sigh of relief that they don't have to remember another password, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now we're taking that a step further and we're working on a system security plan that assumes that you're using certain layers and in this case, Prevail. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to check certain boxes and then you're able to go back and map your policies and say, look, if you're dealing with anything sensitive, if it's if it's questionable, just stick it in the prevail encrypt end to end encrypted drive. It's it's um, ITAR and CM, it will be CMMC compliant. Um, 
when in doubt, put it there and then delete it. It's everywhere. encrypted. Hello, encrypted, you know. <laughs> so one of the things that I um, wanted to talk about is the CMMC and how I feel like overall, I've been a huge fan of it and I still am, but there's some problems. There's some problems around um, the, the current CMMC AB. And I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus specifically, but I mean, I tried to apply as a C3 PAO for the, for the, um, we're a registered provider organization or an RPO. And we have several, we have five registered practitioners on hand now on staff, which I think is one of the highest, which is great. So we were able to help with all the consulting and the readiness for all these folks, which is fantastic. But I wanted to apply as a C3 PAO because I wanted to see what the formal assessment looks like from them. I wanted to see, you know, not necessarily to change my focus to help folks just with the assessment process, but I wanted to see and and become, and you're allowed to do this. You're allowed to do, you just can't work with the same client on both sides, which is perfectly fine. But I tried to go on their website and I couldn't even get past the credit card thing. So then I opened to take it up and I still haven't got a response from that. So I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have this huge shortage of C3 PAOs and lead assessors and certified assessors. And how are these folks, after I help them, going to get their certifications? They can't. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and we're we're grinding to a halt because of the solar wounds hack, right, in the DOD space. Yeah. And then you've got the CMMC requirements coming to the fore, and they're really going to start, you know, issuing their RFPs in 2021, right? Right. Um, and then everybody's got to be qualified by 2026, uh, every company, which means folks, just if you don't know that um, anybody doing business with the Department of Defense and probably other departments by then, um, if you're a contractor, a subcontractor, a sub-sub, a supplier, or you know whatever, wherever you are in that chain, you're going to have to have some form of CMMC certification, whether it's, there's five levels, level one through five, uh, people are saying that anybody who's regularly interacting is probably going to need to be a level three. And this is something that Petronella has qualified to um, to uh, help people prepare for the formal assessment. So that's what Craig's organization can do right now is help help you prepare for those formal assessments to get all your evidence together and do all these things. It's sort of like a practice assessment. So, you know, it's the, but the, the, the body that is sponsored by the, um, it's not, it's not paid for by the Department of Defense, but it's, it's in, in cooperation with the government, just like InfraGuard cooperates with the FBI. Um, it's um, basically, they're, they're at the beginning, and they're still learning how to walk, and they haven't figured out how to qualify all these people yet, or they have and they're not rolling it out very quickly. So there's going to be a shortage. So if you need this kind of qualification, the, the message is hurry up, get your call in, get scheduled for that pre-assessment at least so you know what you're doing and you know where your gaps are so you can start working on them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well said. I, I think that uh, now is the time to work on this. I mean, literally drop what you're doing and work on this because you know, we just passed November 30th. That was the DOD interim rule that they put out October 1st. And basically what they said was, we want to see your system security plan, your self-assessment score based on NIST 800 
And it, whatever score you got, we want to see your plan of actions and milestones, your POAMs, how are you going to get to a 110 score? And by, oh, what? And by the way, let me just interject. Self-assessment is not an option under CMMC. That may not be something that people are aware of. You know, used to be like under all these different systems, you could just say, yeah, I'm good. I, you know, you sign a little piece of paper saying, yep, I got no problems. I, I have all these things in place, whether you did or didn't. Uh-uh, not so fast. Now they are making you have a third party assessor come in to assess you and, and tell the government that, yes, we agree. Yes. And good point. Absolutely. And, and I think for good reason, too, it makes it, you know, it does a lot of things. It makes sure that whoever you've worked with, whether it's yourself or another organization, an MSP, an IT person, whoever, you maybe have a team. It's a checks and balance approach. You have to show the two forms of supporting evidence for each of the 110 plus security controls. And, you know, it's a pass fail. If you don't get all this right, you fail. And if you fail, you cannot get a new contract from the DOD. So it's a big. Right. Even if you're in a contract, once it expires, you have to be able to prove your CMMC qualification yep. before you can get the next contract. Correct. So we've actually, we, we've looked at all the tools that are out there that are freely available to do the self-assessment process. And we evaluated them and we inter- interviewed some clients and we found that even though these tools are free, that clients, most of them, they don't even know how to answer the questions. So they mm-hmm. need help. They need us. They need other uh, registered practitioners that are certified to help them. So what we did was we took the free information that was freely available out there we looked at what the DOD scoring methodology was, and we custom coded a new tool that has some built-in help. So you can, if you become a customer of ours, we give you that tool as part of our gap analysis. And then we help you with consulting to you know, hold your hand and go through this whole thing together. And this is how we get your score, your self-assessment score. And then whatever your score is, whether it's negative, which I hope it's not, but it could be, uh, or maybe you're a 50 or an 80 or whatever it is. The fact of the matter is, as you as we work together, we will continuously get that score higher and higher and higher. And it takes time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there might be things that you that or that folks don't have. So we act as a fiduciary and we vet different technologies and solutions and we make recommendations so you can fill those gaps. And then we keep working to get that score higher and higher and we help you resubmit it. Um, and all this work that we're talking about doing, it benefits your organization immediately. It benefits you now. And then also as the CMMC becomes more mature and you become more ready for that formal assessment, you've gone through a lot of the, these drills and you're, you're going to be that much more likely to pass than if you try to do all this um, on your own or try to skip that step and then try to go straight to CMMC. I don't think that that's a good idea. I think, you, I think most folks should start right now whatever business you're in, even if you're not dealing with, if you're not in defense or don't have a defense award or a contract award, if you're dealing with anything sensitive, I feel like it's a good exercise to go through that tool because it's really going to help show your gaps. Well, I think the important thing is um, it's not, it's not you. It's not friendly Craig and his wonderful tool that are going to decide whether you're compliant or not. It ha- there's still yet another two layers. There's then the C3PAO organization that has to come in with people that you don't know. Craig may know them, but he cannot influence them. And so he he just says, 
there you go, you know, and you are kind of on your own with those people. So hopefully, you know, you've run through something like a, 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 a preparation stage with Craig. Then you've got the C3PAO uh, who comes in and assesses your readiness. But then the C3PAO takes that assessment and submits it to the CMMCAB.org organization so that they see whether they, they examine the assessment and see if it was conducted with integrity and whether it meets the standards that they are trying to enforce. So there's actually, you know, two, potentially three layers of examination that you have to go through to get a CMMC certification. So if anybody has a, a contract that's expiring, I, I would urge you to put this on the top of your list for January 1. I realize it's the holidays, but just, you know, I mean, in January, you are on the road to CMMC land, you know, because you've got to be. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think, you know, we've created some packages that are affordable for a lot of businesses. You know, start with that package and that package that I'm referencing, it gives you the policy templates that you need, uh, the risk management framework, all the policy templates are there, they're editable. So they're in Word and Excel format. So you can put your company name on it and things like that. That's the easy part. The harder part is drilling down into those policies and customizing them based on what's called security control layers, like we were talking about. So the mapping of those two together, that's an exercise that could take you months, depending on the size of your organization or how many resources you have. So even if you get started on that now, even before Christmas and, and the holidays, you know, that would, that's a good thing. Well, you know, the other thing that I wanted to stress about CMMC, and this is what people don't understand, is they need to get these controls in place now. Do you know why? Because it is a maturity model. If you just implemented something last week, ain't gonna pass. I don't care if you have it. You might have that in your environment and you are doing it and you and your staff are completely on board with it, but you just did it. And that does not indicate security for them. So they wanna see longevity of all the different controls that you have in place. And I think that is a, a very time sensitive thing. And I will say in order to get to level four or five, where you're hunting, proactively hunting APTs, you're going to need tools like uh, Threat Warrior, you're going to need tools like Packet Viper, you're going to need things like that in place in your environment. Those are generally the very high levels, but you, you can't do without them. That's the, right. that's the story. And they have to be implemented before you get to your assessment and, and show some integration with your operations. Like everything's like, oh yeah, that was, you know, like 10 years ago, we did that, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good information. And also to note, you know, that there's no whiz bang silver bullet in all this. You can't just go buy these tools and then think that nothing needs to be done. You you have to have continuous ongoing management and effort with these tools. And it takes usually a team to manage these tools. These are te technical complex. They take time to roll out properly. There's testing involved and phases that need to be rolled out. But absolutely, like Lisa said, I mean, you need to have this long trail of evidence as long as possible, which is why we're saying to do this now rather than wait, because the more stuff that you can do now you start that path, you start that evidence trail right away. So it's so, it's so important. And it, you know, a lot of, I get this number one question is how much is it going to cost me and how long is it going to take? 
And I can't answer that. All I can tell you is the variables that I can control and that I know I can put brackets around. So if I, if I ask you, I came out with a video the other day and I asked six questions. And my first question is, does your organization have a system security plan or an SSP? If you don't have an SSP, you fail. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but, but you <laughs> fail. You fail on the SPRS system, on the DOD interim rule. That's the, that's the number one thing right there. So you have to have a system security plan. You know, the other questions I ask are around CUI or controlled unclassified information. You know, do you, do you know what that is? You know, there's a lot of debate over what is CUI. There's also the question around, are you creating or editing it or managing CUI in your organization? And that becomes very important at the at level three and above. Whereas below that, you're talking about FCI. Um, so it's, you know, you, there's still controls that are required. Yep. You just get a pass if you're not required to be level three or above. And level three, by the way, you should already be doing 800-171. Should already be in place for years now. But, okay, so like if it's not in January 1, you're on, you know, the road to CMMC land, right? See, that's why I think that one and two levels of CMMC, I think really don't need to be there. I think it should be just three, four, and five, to be honest, because I mean, I mean, the reality of the situation is if DFAR 7012 is in the contract award, you're supposed to be NIST 800-171 compliant. So the equivalency of NIST 800-171 in CMMC land is level three. So plus you have some additional, I think it's 20 different extras. So my point is that, I mean, why, why go backwards? Why, you know, do it right the first time. I, my belief is try to get to level three or higher if you could afford to do so. I would, I would say so. Uh, level, level five is going to be pretty difficult to attain for most people. Yep. So I think most people are going to be looking at level three, but I mean, if you're just baking croissants for the officer's mess or something, you know, you might get away with level one where you might even have policies that are not written down. I would recommend you do it, but you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, you have policies, you have procedures are not written, but they are in place. Um, I had a very interesting discussion with a, a, a prime uh, federal contractor the other day. And they were being very, very kind and understanding about my client. And my client is, is good. I mean, he, he's got an organization. They, they have policies and procedures in place. They're really kind of buttoned up. I don't have any written down because a lot of people are like, I'm too busy to write everything down. I, can, I know what we do. And everybody here knows what we do. And we're very secure. And we don't let anybody in. And we don't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't count if you don't have it in writing um, in court. So if you want me to prove it, how am I going to do that? Would you want me to film you for like, you know, a month? And, you know, that's going to be a little expensive. Why don't just write it down? Yeah. So. I, I don't think it's going to hurt anyone to have customized written policies around this stuff. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, it's going to take time and it's, it's not going to have an over, happen overnight. But it's a great exercise. I mean, it's a great exercise to be more mature in your company. I mean, ultimately, I feel like if you have that structure and you have policy, procedures, written protocols, everything's written out, data flow diagrams, 
and you you have all that maturity, it's going to allow your organization to grow and, and increase your profits. You're going to be well, able to. Start. I mean, yeah, you 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 make this point. You know, it's kind of like how many people have been irritated when they get some product in from some foreign land. And they have the worst instructions on the planet. Right. So you're trying, right? So it's like you're trying to grow an organization and you bring in new people and you're trying to explain to them what you do. And it sounds like gibberish to them. You know, give them a stepwise understanding of what you do, how you do it, what the policy is, what the thinking is behind it, and how you're going to secure it. Then they really understand. And, and like if they don't understand, they can they can quietly go away and not be embarrassed and, and read it, right? So it's, it's a good idea. Absolutely. And a lot of folks, you know, with the whole CMMC, they, they don't understand enclaves. You know, I didn't really understand it very well. I, I mean, I knew about it in configurations and architecting systems, but I never heard it that word used so much. Um, the enclave word until I went through the CMMC training and it makes sense. And basically what an enclave is, is it's a slice of the pie of where you're going to put all of your sensitive information. So you basically build a moat and a castle and you have all these layers to protect your private sensitive information. Um, and you, you, you put the security controls in place there and you map your policies based on that. The big question though, so say your organization's a hundred people and only 10 people are dealing with CUI. Well, you can do a 10-user enclave and significantly save your organization on cost. However, the big question that remains that's still kind of muddy and unclear from the Department of Defense is what do you do with the rest of the organization? Because some of the CMMC applies to the whole organization, and then some of it you can enclave. So my rule of reason, you know, and I think where your technical systems are integrated, whatever's integrated with that enclave, you better be, you know, looking at that, right? That's in I think in a perfect world, obviously don't use an enclave and do everything CMMC level three or higher. I think that's a perfect world. But I think for larger organizations, that might be cost prohibitive. So until we get further direction, I've been recommending at least CMMC level one for the whole company and then do three or higher for your enclave. And I think that that methodology is is probably a good one, unless obviously you could do the whole organization at three or higher. Yeah, that's good advice. And remember, folks, it's not just the technical stuff that's going to be in question. You, you know, you, you've got to look at your your policies, procedures, your your actual practices. Um, the assessors will review these things. They will be looking at those. And by the way, CMMC does not exist in a little silo like everything did in high school where they give you a you know math problem and it only pertains to that one little situation where the car is driving down the road. It's just, you know, it's it's like, <laughs> you know, these things exist and they impact HR, they impact, you know, your um, C-suite, you know, speeches, your public company disclosures, they, they, they impact a lot of things. And so, be aware that these things have to be integrated as, as former general counsel of an international uh, company. I I'm aware that, you know, one change can, it's like the butterfly effect, right? Right. It spirals out domino effect. Yeah. And another, another point to bring up on around that is 
this exercise um, in going through the CMMC and preparing your your um, your company policies, procedures, security controls, et cetera, it's also a good exercise to take a bird's eye view of what applications and vendors are in your circle, who are you using and why. And if there's a chance or an opportunity to simmer some of that down and not have your data with three third parties, well, that's only going to help you in the end anyway. It's going to make you. Know your- I, have a, I have a Christmas gift you can give yourself, right? Here's our Christmas project or holiday project. I I apologize to people that don't celebrate Christmas. This is our end of year project. Okay. And it's going to make us all feel like we just organized our tool bench in the garage. It's going to be great. (laughs) Right. So what we need to do is look at our phones and we need to delete every single app that we don't really use. And we need to probably delete every app that our child uses and get your kid one of those little simple, crazy phones that they can have whatever toys they want on there because it's not going to impact your data. Uh, Because I'm not going to be naive enough to think that you guys are always going to use VPNs like you should. And you're always going to have, you know, secure layers and stuff on your, you know, computing and getting into your documents. I'm just going to be realistic. Some people are going to be emailing themselves to, I mean, this, this happens, right? It happens. No, that's great advice. Delete the apps. Just delete. delete. Not just the app. Go through your go through your desktop. Go through your, mm-hmm. your Mac or your your Windows PC and delete apps. I'm making this hard. This is before the end of the year. Okay, it's already the 16th. But you know, I'm just talking about let's do something that we can do. This will take maybe what maybe 45 minutes or something to just look at your phone and really decide yep. what you or don't need. Yeah. yeah, but that's that's great advice. That significantly reduces your risk level because now if you've got 50 apps on your phone, you're trusting 50 different potential vendors to maybe misrepresent themselves. And this has happened many, many times over again. We did a test with a vendor, I think it was four or five years ago now, and they were able to get the app approved in the app store and it was malicious. It happens all the time. And that's on the on the Apple side and it happens on the Google Play side as well. Um, so the fact of the matter is, and this is other other this is another tool or another way adversaries are exploiting us. They want our data. They want to know. They want to use the GPS on your phone. They want to steal that information. Anything they can grab their hands on, they want, and they want to try to build a profile and sell it. Well, the power of stealing your biometrics cannot be um, underestimated because if you lose your biometrics, you lose your face you lose your fingerprint, you lose your voice, then how are you going to prove that you're you? It would be difficult. So this is why some states in the United States have really become very draconian about their laws on biometrics too. So, I mean, really watch those apps because you've got all that stuff on your phone. Most everybody does. Absolutely. Have you um, heard anything on the health ID or health passport technology? (laughs) No, except for just about every security professional that I know is like freaking out over it. And I, and, and I find it to be amazing. Like my brother, who's not in security, he's in construction. He says, never in a million years would I have predicted, you know, 30 years ago that people would be standing in line waiting to buy the most sophisticated surveillance instrument on the planet and then give it all of our information. And he goes, now we want our health information to be there too. Very dangerous, right? So, yeah. Yeah, well, I I think there's also some work being done around 
helping, I was talking to a, a personal injury attorney and he was saying that he works with, you know, representing people that get in car accidents and that are hurt at no fault, of, mostly at no fault of their own. And he tries to help them get their records and things like that. And he was saying it takes weeks just for the hospitals. They kind of put them in this separate bucket of, oh, this is the compliance bucket. So we need to make sure that the patient is really who they say they are. And, you know, all that. 30 days, 30 yeah. days under HIPAA. That's what they have. So if you want something, ask for it early. Yeah. So there, there's talk about, you know, you storing patient health information or, and, and PII on a blockchain at no. the consumer level. Okay. Well, I mean, I have my own thoughts about blockchain. If it exists, there can be hack of it, right? I mean, somebody, as a matter of fact, there wasn't there just a, a blockchain hacking incident that was published in the summer and it was, um, I can't remember where it was. But part of the blockchain got hacked. I'm glad, you know, my Coinbase thing wasn't, you know. But um, I'm just saying, uh, you know, there there is a potential to even infiltrate the blockchain. Now, how you could do it would take a whole lot of sophistication. You've got to be, you know, a math genius in order to figure out what you're doing and, and where to go with it. But given time... You know, just like this, this fire eye hack, the solar winds, you know, situation, you know, there could be multiple actors working in concert funded by a nation state, you know, and really take down a good amount of, um, you know, either health data or, um, you know, financial uh, information or even money, you know, just mm-hmm. stealing, stealing bitcoins or whatever. Yeah, I, well, I think that that's probably the number one on all the nation states that are rogue is trying to figure out how do we how do we break the blockchain of Bitcoin, right? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so we can manipulate that. I don't. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, if it's online, it can be hacked, right? It's just a matter of how. Uh, I think most of those Bitcoin uh, cryptography algorithms are in today's computing power. You know. It, I don't know what the the answer is as far as years, but it's light years ahead of what we have now. But who knows if there's a breakthrough in quantum computing or something, you know, that might significantly reduce that time frame and may, maybe require more advanced strengths on the chains for that to be an effective solution. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the other the other thing is, you know, we 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 live in a, an odd world. May you live in interesting times, as they say. You know, we've forced since since 1996. We thought it was a fantastic idea to have health, uh, you know, uh, insurance portability and all that. So we, we want to make sure that all of our stuff could be portable. We forced all of the healthcare providers online. They didn't want to go there. We had to give them money to go there. So yeah, grants, you know, right? Weren't there grants given? Yeah, I gave them a grant. Then here you go, you doctor, you know, God knows you don't make enough money. You know, here though, here's some money so you can go online, right? And um, now everything's online and we're like, oh my God, it's valuable. And it's also vulnerable, you know? So it's like, well, yeah, but you forced us online. This is what, you know, it's, it's kind of unfair. You know, it really is unfair that we have to do everything online and we're forced to do it. And we can't, like doctors cannot keep, uh, well, they can, but it, it'd be different, the physical copies, right? Um, you know, they're all supposed to be, you know, paperless and all that kind of stuff. And it's 
just all vulnerable now. Well, um, there's, this, there's this delicate balance with technology, right? It's the advances in technology of having that stuff online and at our fingertips and in a perfect world is fantastic. Doctors, doctors are able to view images and x-rays and all sorts of stuff because of the technology. But then the, the double edge of that sword is how do we secure this technology? You know, because security is now more important than ever and requires just intense, continuous security control layers and continuous eyes on it to make sure that only those that are supposed to be looking at it are looking at it. So, you know. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, security has become such a thing. I, I was one of the clowns that had one of those big phone books of IP addresses and I was looking them up. You know, when like websites were like brochureware, it's like right. oh, they have a website, yay! You know, and uh, you know now it's become just unbelievably important. The the security, you know, stuff. I mean, I, I I wish we had a situation where it were simpler, but it's not. So we need to get with the program and stop whining and just do it. Right? That's right. <laughs> Well said. I, I think we should probably stop there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I appreciate all your time and insights. This has been fantastic. Sure. Always fun to talk to you, Craig. Thanks. Thank you. Well, once again, tell folks how to reach you. How do they get in touch with you if they need help with, you know, the legal aspects of the data privacy attorney world? Sure. Um, well, uh, you can go to our website at uh, shastinepercy.com, S-H-A-S, teen, like teenager, P is in Paul, E-R-C-Y.com. And my number is 813-220-3000. So feel free to reach out to me anytime if you got any questions. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Cybersecurity and Compliance with Craig Petronella. Listen to all of our podcasts on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Visit us online at petronellatech.com to book a meeting with Craig about your business. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity and Compliance Podcast with Craig Petronella. For other episodes and more information, visit petronellatech.com. Also visit our other websites, compliancearmor.com and blockchainsecurity.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening and stay secure.